morning. Read from God's Word this morning, found on page 484 of your Pew Bible, Psalm 70. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let them be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let them turn back because of their shame who say, aha, aha. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. But I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O Lord, do not delay. Gracious Father, we thank you for your word that is true. We thank you that you give us your word to sustain us. That you brought us here this morning by live stream or here in person. That there is nothing taking place in this world today that you are not perfectly aware of. Lord, we with David say we are poor and needy. And Lord, we thank you that you are our help, that you are our deliverer, that we do not stand alone because of you, what you have done by sending your son Jesus to live a perfect life, suffer and die on the cross, to raise again from the dead and to be seated with you, that we are with you Because of your son, we have so much reason to give thanks. Lord, I pray that the preaching of your word this morning would glorify you. Lord, I pray that you would soften our hearts. That you would open our ears. That you would prepare us for this time. Amen. Well, I heard from a number of you this week that some of the comments that I made last week as, as it applied to enemies in our lives was helpful uh, or, or at least thought-provoking. <laughs> maybe, maybe it will be helpful at some point. Uh, but, but I want us to begin our time this morning in Psalm 70 with the same um, thought about enemies. Not necessarily who they are, uh, but the fact that we have them. And, and it is very difficult, as I said last week, to understand the idea of an enemy in our day. Uh, it, it is, unless you fought uh, maybe in, in Vietnam or Korea or you have been overseas to s- serve in our military, and it, it's difficult to understand the idea of an enemy. We have it quite well in our day as it applies to how uh, enemies deal with us. It isn't the idea that there's the enemy, let's go gleefully destroy them or gleefully go destroy them, but the idea that uh, we have enemies uh, because Christ told us that he was hated and therefore all who follow him will be hated as well. 
So there isn't a time as a Christian where you go from, uh, now I get a break and there are no more enemies. Uh, Because in Christ, because of being in Christ, we will always have enemies because the world hates Jesus and those who follow him. And it's not a question of if they're doing that right now. It's more of a question of how are they doing that right now. Christ said they would. So we don't get a break from that. We don't get a break where we said, well, you know, he said we would, but right now it's not happening. In fact, I, th- I think it's helpful for us, maybe even as we approach the Psalms in the summer, or maybe as you read through them on a, uh, maybe a month-by-month basis to recognize that grasping an idea or the idea of living in a world with enemies is helpful to how to read the Psalms. Because often these are written with that in mind. Certainly Psalm 70 is. We aren't to have those in our lives that we despise and loathe. So when we think of the idea of an enemy, oftentimes I find myself thinking, well, I don't have anybody in my life. I just despise and loathe and want to see die. That's good. You shouldn't have that. But that's what, that's what may be conjured up in your mind when you think of the idea of an enemy. It's certainly that which I have to fight against. We are called to love our enemies, do good to those who hate us. We may not have anybody in our lives that we know personally who despise and loathes us. But the world around us hates Jesus, therefore they will hate you. They count you as their enemy and we will be right and wise to understand that they are our enemies because as those in Christ, the enemies of Christ are also our enemies. How do we treat our enemies? The same way Christ treats his enemies with love. So we don't treat enemies the way they want to treat us, which is destroy us. That's not what we do. Christ laid down his life for his enemies, of which we were. Hostile in mind. We read that this morning in Colossians 1. So we need to continually remind ourselves that there are enemies. And and we have them. And it would be helpful for us to continually be about the business of recognizing them. Now, in that same idea, uh, or in that same thought of enemies, I want us to think about the idea of suffering. And I think we all need to admit that the culture that we live in repudiates the idea of suffering. We live in a culture that has been pervaded by a prosperity gospel mentality and we are not immune from that idea and so we do whatever we need to do to get away from suffering now I'm not suggesting you go look for it but I am suggesting we have to get under the 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 idea biblically that it's here that God uses it that it's promised. So I'm not suggesting if you have a headache that you think, oh, the pastor told me there's suffering, so no Advil for me. We're going to power our way through this. I'm, I'm not, that, that's not the point. But nor should we be thinking, it's wrong that I have a headache. It's wrong that people want to do something to me. It's wrong that it's hard to be a Christian and that if I can just work toward the right things, they won't deal with me as a Christian. They'll deal with me just like they deal with everybody else. So I walked down the street on, Friday, on Thursday morning 
under the mayor's order of Fredericksburg that I have to wear a mask if I'm within six feet of people. Nobody was within 100 feet of me. I was carrying my Bible, something to the effect of this. Guess what? I don't get treated the same way because I'm a Christian holding this. And people don't like me wearing a mask. They'll treat me as if I'm outside the mandate. Why is that? Because of this. And because I'm a Christian. You should expect these things. The Bible tells us that in this life we will have trouble, that God sanctifies us with suffering. Peter says, do not be surprised by the fiery trial. That we aren't supposed to be surprised by suffering. Jesus tells us that we will have suffering. We've got to to, um, bring that idea back into our Christian worldview. In times of stress or fatigue, where, to whom, what do you seek out to relieve the burden of your soul under suffering? Now, I want to begin at the cross of Jesus Christ and move to Psalm 70 and then move back to the cross. Okay, so this is a long introduction. But I've got, we've, we've got to get our minds about this. Psalm 70 thing, and I think we need to start here. I want us to think about two implications of the cross of Christ, okay? Two implications of the cross of Christ. And if you hang with me long enough, hopefully I can help you understand how in my brain this connects to Psalm 70, and you might come after me afterward and say that didn't work, and I'll submit to that. But let's, let's think about this for a minute. Two implications of the cross of Christ. Implication number one. We surrender our full rights to Jesus Christ when we become Christians, okay? Now, what does that mean for our daily life? How does the cross of Christ help us to understand suffering enemies, living in this hostile world, when we surrender our full rights to Jesus Christ? Because we sing at times, all to Jesus I surrender, all to thee I freely give. Well, what that means is You don't have any rights. I can't believe our pastor, he says that we don't have any rights. What about the Bill of Rights? Follow me. We're thinking Christian speak here. You don't have any rights. You're in full surrender to Jesus Christ. You've got to start with that mentality. It helps in how to interpret the Bill of Rights. We're in a world that hates Jesus. It's, it's a full surrender to Jesus Christ, but if I might be so bold, since 70, 1776, all we're doing is retreating, backing up. We don't have freedom of speech anymore. I can say what I want to, but I can't say it wherever I want to. You don't have the right to bear arms wherever you want to. You lost that a long time ago. We're under a world that hates Jesus Christ. We're to surrender our fullness of all rights to Jesus Christ. Does that mean we shouldn't fight for gun laws? No, I'm not saying that. But you've got to start with the mentality that this is not your home. We surrender our full rights to Jesus Christ. That's the the second one implication of the cross of Christ I want to say is we have been extradited from our homes. Homes of sin and death and now promised a new home in heaven one day. Now, I'm going to be 
very honest. I was a green three-headed monster on Friday and Saturday. And if you don't believe that, go ask the elders, my wife, and my children. I was not a good Christian. My attitude was abysmal. And I would love to spend the next few minutes to justify those attitudes to you. And I won't do that. But as I worked to get my attitude right, I was struck by something through a number of different conversations I had. And those people didn't know that they were struck. The Lord was using them to strike me in this way. But I was struck by how similar my response to wearing a mask was as if it would be coming, as if it would be someone coming into my home and telling me I have to do something as compared with going into someone else's home and being told I have to do something. Now, just, just stay with me on this, okay? If you come into my home and tell me, Cody, you have to do this, I will flip out on you. If I go into your home and you tell me, Cody, you have to do this, I'll probably say, yeah, that'd be just fine. Yes, sir, where can I do that for you? What's my point? This isn't our home. And so this thing right here, and this is the first time in four years I've used a prop in a sermon. So here it is. You've got to wait for four more years for this, okay? Here it is. This thing that they told me to wear, that I had an abysmal attitude, just stay with me. There's lots of different thoughts about this, and I have them. But listen, what it did remind me of is if I got so freaked out about this, them forcing me to have to wear, out, wear this, it's a good reminder that I'm thinking this is too homely. And that's not. That's not right. We have been extradited. That's the, I, I want to use that word specifically. We have been forcibly removed from this earthly home by the glory of God in shining his light upon us in Jesus Christ and has said, there's another home that waits. The enemy has done a good work this week to distract me from, and us from the truth that this is not our home. And if we think it is, we won't think that we have to surrender our rights. If we think it is, we, won't, we will think we do have a bunch of rights. We, if we think it is, we will not think we should have suffering. And if we think it is, we don't think we should have enemies. And it is when we lift our eyes to heaven, it is, that when we, is, it is when we recognize, oh, that's why these things are here. Because this isn't my home. I'm in exile. I'm going to read the entire chapter, and I would encourage you to turn with me to Hebrews chapter 13. Because I think the writer of Hebrews does, an, as it always does, a phenomenal job of what he tells us to do here and what attitudes he tells us to have in the light of being in a foreign home. Hebrews chapter 13, 1 through 19. Just follow along as I read. Let brotherly love continue. Do not neglect to show hospitality to strangers, for thereby some have entertained angels unawares. Remember those who are in prison as though in prison with them and those who are mistreated since you also are in the body. Let marriage be held in honor among all and let the marriage bed be undefiled for God will judge the sexually immoral and adulterous. Keep your life free from the love of money and be content with what you have for he has said, I will never leave you nor forsake you. So we can confidently say, this is what Psalm 70 says, the Lord is my helper, I will not fear, what can man do to me? 
Remember your leaders, those who spoke to you the word of God. Consider the outcome of their life and imitate their faith. Jesus Christ is the same yesterday, today, and forever. Do not be led away by diverse and strange teachings, for it is good for the heart to be strengthened by grace, not by foods which have not benefited those who devoted to them. We have an altar from which those who serve the tent have no right to eat. For the bodies of those animals whose blood is brought into the holy places by the high priest as a sacrifice for sin are burned outside the camp. So Jesus also suffered outside the gate in order to sanctify the people through his own blood. Therefore, let us go to him outside the camp and bear the reproach he endured. For here we have no lasting city. Fredericksburg is not our home. 3746 East U.S. Highway 290 is not my home. Neither is 125 Winding Oak. but we seek the city that is to come. Through him, then, let us continually offer up a sacrifice to praise to God. That is the fruit of lips that acknowledge his name. Do not neglect to do good and to share what you have, for such sacrifices are pleasing to God. Obey your leaders and submit to them, for they are keeping watch over your souls as those who will have to give an account. Let them do this with joy, not with groaning, for that would be of no advantage to you. Pray for us, for we are sure that we have a clear conscience, desiring to act honorably in all things. I urge you the more earnestly to do this in order that I may be restored to you the sooner. I would encourage us to meditate upon that. Okay, now let's go to Psalm 70. It's the longest introduction I've had in a while. Hopefully it doesn't distract from the word. Psalm 70, that helps us in preparation for it. I want us to see a couple of things here before we look at the text more closely. Even as Eddie read it, I trust you could see that there is a, <clears throat> there's a, there's a bookend as was last week as well. There's something that happens in verse one that happens at the end of the chapter as well. And then there is a, if, a contrast yet again. So look at verse one. Make haste, O God, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Notice verse 5. But I am poor and needy. Hasten to me, O God. You are my help and my deliverer. O God, do not delay. Notice the, sh- notice the, the flip-flop. Verse 1 is deliver, then help. Verse 5 is help, then deliver. Sandwiched between 1 and 5, you have, you have two, or three verses, but they're, they're contrasting. So 2 and 3, you have this description of the desires of the enemy of David. They, they seek his Life. They seek to bring him dishonor. They delight in his hurt. They want to put him to shame. They want to mock him. And then the request of David in verse 4. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. So we have a request in 1 and 5. And, and then we have this description. And then we have a pleading or a prayer or, de- or, or, or desire. Let's look at verses 1 through 3 together, and then we'll look at verses 4 and 5. And I simply want to spend just a few moments on 1 and 3, and I've entitled that point, Haste to Help. Haste to Help. And notice that he has a request, and then he has this reviling that is being done against him by his enemy. So you can see the request there, make haste, speedily come, Lord, move quickly to deliver me, oh God, make haste to help me. Just the way he phrases that should help us to understand the desperate time he is in. 
David, the writer of this psalm. We don't know the situation he's in, but it's certainly one where he feels the desire of the immediacy of God's answering his prayer, of God answering his prayer. And then notice you can see the reviling that is taking place in his life. And again, we don't know specifically the situation, but they are seeking to put, he says, let them be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight my hurt. Let them be turned back because of their shame who say, aha, aha. Let their ways be thwarted. May they not achieve the end of which they desire. David, the king of his people. David, the one who is seeking to point his people to God. That's his role as a leader. May the enemies of you, my God, not be those who win the day. Those who want to destroy my life. Those who want to see my downfall. Those who want to delight and mock that, see, it didn't work for him. May it not be so. Why? We're not going to spend much time in one through three. That's all the time I'll spend in it. Why? Because he wants, if you will, verse four and five, help for hallelujahs. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. Notice his request is individual. In verse 1, make haste to help me, me. In verse 4, it's corporate. He has this desire that the people of God would rejoice and be glad in him. The people of God would be able to say God is great. The people of God would not have their voices muffled, that God would be shown to be who he is. Now, I started with the cross, and I want us to go back there in thinking about this. Because what David is, is articulating in verse 4 is this idea of corporate worship, this idea of the people of God united together, declaring the glory of God who overcomes his enemies. And we need to recognize in verse 4 is the intrinsic idea, the innate idea to being a person of the king, to being a person of God, that you are a person of worship, that we are all people of worship one way or the other. So you know the gospel, but in Adam's sin, we all die. What happened when we think about the Garden of Jesus, the Garden uh, of Eden? Well, we recognize that Adam and Eve were made perfectly. And what was it that they were doing in their perfection? Their, every part of them, every bit of work that they did to tend the garden, every work that they did to name the animals, every work that they did as a couple, everything that they did, every word, every thought, was that which was pleasing to God, which was that which was worship to God. He accepted it and delighted it because it was perfect. As he is perfect. And when in Adam's sin we all die, what takes place is false worship. Don't get the idea that because of the sin that we are now under, we're no longer worshipers and we need to begin worshiping. No, no, no. We're still worshipers in our sin, in our unbelief. We're worshiping the wrong thing. We're worshiping the creation 
and not the creator. The Bible never frames us as needing Jesus so that we can worship now for the first time. It frames us as needing Jesus so that we can worship rightly. Let's just peruse a couple passages here. Let's go over to Psalm chapter 40. Notice the similarity in Psalm 40 to what we're looking at in verses 4 and 5 of Psalm 70. Psalm 40 verses 13 through 17. I want us to continue thinking about the work of Christ here. But I want us to see Psalm 40 and then we'll go to the New Testament and see, I trust Christ more clearly and what he's done for us that helps us understand Psalm 70. So Psalm 40, 13 through 17, you'll you'll hear a lot of similarities to our Psalm 70 passage. Psalm 40, be pleased, O Lord, to deliver me. O Lord, make haste to help me. Let those be put to shame and disappointed altogether who seek to snatch away my life. Let those be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let those be appalled because of their shame who say to me, aha, aha. But may all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say continually, Great is the Lord. As for me, I am poor and needy, but the Lord takes thought for me. You are my help and my deliverer. Do not delay, O my God. How does Psalm 70, how does Psalm 40, how do we see that particular prayer being the prayer or cry of Christ? Well, would you go to me with me to, to Matthew 27? Matthew chapter 27, verses 39 through 44. Matthew 27, 39 through 44. And we've read Psalm 40, and we've read Psalm 70, and I want you to picture in your mind the, the, the statements that David has written in Psalm 40 and in Psalm 70. I believe it's David in Psalm 40. We certainly know it's, yes, it's David in Psalm 40 and David in Psalm 70. The statements he makes how those statements become vivid in their color and application on the cross, when Christ is on the cross. So Matthew 27, Christ is hanging on the cross, nail-pierced hands and feet, okay? In absolute indignity, the, the mocking that is going on. And those who passed by derided him, wagging their head and saying, you who would destroy the temple and rebuild it in three days, save yourself. If you're the son of God, come down from the cross. What a blowhard. So also the chief priests with the scribes and elders mocked him, saying, he saved others. He cannot save himself. He's the king of Israel. Let him come down from the cross and we will believe in him. He trusts in God. Let God deliver him now if he desires him. For he said, I am the son of God. And the robbers who were crucified with him also reviled him in the same way. Let them be put to shame and confusion who seek my life. Let them be turned back and brought to dishonor who delight in my hurt. Let them turn back because of their shame who say, aha, aha. May all who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. May those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. Jesus Christ went to the cross 
and endured the enemies of David in Psalm 70, saying the same things David's asking for rescue from. In Psalm 70, we see no indication that David gets that rescue. But because of the work of Christ, we can pray Psalm 70 and know that we have been rescued eternally. Our rescue has already come because Christ died on the cross underneath the mocking of his enemies. Christ did not restore us to being able to worship God aright. Christ newly created us to worship him aright. This is the glory of John chapter 4. We are new creatures. We are a new creation. And now we have the ability to worship him rightly. Not on Sunday mornings, which is certainly an aspect of worship, but in every day of our lives. We have the ability because of Christ to live in a way where we are able to say we rejoice and are glad in our God. God is great despite all the mockings of enemies around us. And we have heaven. We have heaven that awaits us where there's no more enemies. There's no more mocking. There's no more shame. There's no more pain. There's no more difficulty. There's no more suffering. There is only the ability to do everything and anything that is pleasing to him. God is our help. God is our deliverer. Because my enemies' desires are distracting from the exaltation of who God is, that's the request David here has here. God, hasten to help me. God, hasten to deliver me because my enemies' desires are distracting from the exaltation of who you are as God. And so we are right to pray, God, help us under a mask mandate, not so that masks will come off, but so that people might rejoice and be glad in you and not be deceived into thinking that the removal of masks will make them glad. But also, God help and God make haste to deliver. And while we wait, let those who seek you rejoice and be glad in you. And may those who love your salvation say evermore, God is great. The gospel is relevant under COVID-19, pandemics, marriage problems, relationship nightmares, tensions in the workplace. When we understand that the need to focus on Christ isn't on Sunday mornings, but as we daily, moment by moment, marinate in the wonder of being brought to life in Christ and the hope we have in heaven that we are able to say, despite all that is around us, God is great. And that genuinely changes how we are able to handle these things. And yet that way does require being under difficult times. Verse 4 tells us that in spite of the difficulty, active seeking, may all who seek you, active perusal, active pursuit of loving the salvation he has bestowed upon us. What is the test we can apply to our lives this morning that might help us determine the health of our seeking and love of the salvation he has so graciously given to us? And verse 5 provides that help. God, you are great. I am not. Help me. I am poor and needy. 
How often in the last week have you accessed the heavenly helpline? The commitment we have to our God as our help and deliverer is evidenced in our commitment to seek him in prayer. Matthew 5, verse 3, blessed are the poor in spirit, for theirs is the kingdom of God. We've got to understand that the gospel of Jesus Christ, the work that God does in saving you, is allowing you to see your poverty of spirit. And the reward is not poverty of spirit, but a kingdom with no poverty, tears, sorrow, wrong, pain, hunger, thirst, a heavenly kingdom. So it's not wrong to say, God, I am weak. It's actually the gospel that gives you the eyes to say, I am weak. Help me. Those who recognize that in Christ we are rich. The kingdom of heaven is ours. Recognize that God has already eternally answered the prayer for help in Psalm 70 and thus the confidence that he will hasten to help until that last day of this side of eternity. Help me, O God, for I am not as strong as I think I am. Help me, O God, for I am needy. Help me, O God, for I am in a strange land. I want to read one more long passage and then we'll move to the Lord's table. Would you go with me to 1 Peter chapter 2? 1 Peter chapter 2, 9 through 12. First Peter 2, 9 through 12. But you are a chosen race, a royal priesthood, a holy nation, a people for his own possession, that you may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into his marvelous light. Once you were not a people, but now you are God's people. Once you had not received mercy, but now you have received mercy. Beloved, I urge, I urge you as sojourners and exiles to abstain from the passions of the flesh which wage war against your soul. Keep your conduct among the Gentiles honorable so that when they speak against you as evildoers, they may see your good deeds and glorify God on the day of visitation. Maybe this morning you all, have, all in an instant see that you're neediness is due to your sin and that your sin is great and that you do not have a friend in Jesus who bears all your sins and grief. If you are in that place where you recognize your sin this morning and you recognize that in your sin and you see it most clearly this morning you have not had Christ apply his perfect blood to your sin and cover it. You are not saved and you desperately want to be. I will say simply this. I can't offer you a shred of hope in these difficult days outside of the false hope that one day life will go back to normal. I can't give you any hope outside of Jesus Christ. All I can offer you is Jesus Christ. Do not go look to find your poor and neediness, your help, your deliverance, anywhere other than in Jesus Christ. It, it, this world may one day return back to whatever normal actually is, but you won't have the peace you long for in, in the midst of your sin unless Christ saves you.
And would you turn in your neediness and cry out to God to save you? I want to give two illustrations and then we'll close of the world we live in today and where people look and how people respond in these days of difficulty and these days of neediness and the difference between the Christian's response of rejoice and be glad in you and God is great and how they respond when they have no hope of Jesus Christ. Yesterday I walked into HEB with my mask on and a 60-plus-year-old individual walked in in front of me by about 10 feet. And he greeted the young lady at the door who was just doing her job. She probably was no more than 19 or 20. She was just standing there being paid whatever, twelve fifty an hour, doing her job. And the man walked up to her and said, Thank you, comrade. That's not a laughable matter. And I walked up to her and said, I am so sorry. You're just doing your job. And then I walked into the Goodwill to the store clerk that I've gotten to know because I purchase things from him all the time. And he's in there, and I don't know if he's Hispanic or not. He looks like it. But he told me as he was checking me out, I had an altercation today over mask. I said, yeah, what was that? He said, yeah, two people walked in and they didn't wear a mask and were under the city mandate, so I politely asked them to put their mask on and they wouldn't do it. So I said, well, then you're going to have to leave the store. And that's his job, is at stake. So they proceeded to cuss him out and told him to go back to Mexico. I said, I'm so sorry. Thank you for doing your job. I feel sorry for those people. We should as well. Because their hope is that the mask will go away. So they can go where they want to go. And they can have joy. That's false. We have a God who has delivered us. We have a God who has rescued us. We have joy. We have gladness. We have songs of salvation. We have love. We don't have rights, but we certainly have all of those things that have been graciously given to us in Christ. We have a commitment because of the work of God in our lives to God as our deliverer and Him alone. David does not record an answer to his prayer in this psalm. David's prayer is much like ours should be. A cry for help and deliverance, not once, twice, thrice, and be done, but continually. In the trust and knowing and the truth that God knows about all of our lives. He is our help and deliverer. He never fails us. And may you, brothers and sisters, may we, may I pray for me this week, pray for one another. Let the growing discomfort of this life be a grace to press you into greater seeking of him. Let's pray. Father, this is a hard Sunday. We're all fighting. Fighting for the grace to live in the truth and reality of what you've done for us. It's a sober moment to recognize the evil of our world. 
that is much more evil than masks or mandates. Father, would you help us? We've got a table before us that was purchased by blood. There's no greater joy available for us than to partake of that table and be reminded until Christ returns of his death for us that has freed us from all of this. It's a waiting game is all we're in. And yet it's a work that you've called us to do. To not simply wait for that return, but to work for that return. Not that it would be given to us, but that we would be in preparation of it. That we'd be in preparation for it. That whether it's this afternoon, whether it's two days from now, whether it's 200 years from now, when the skies are split and that trumpet sounds and the dead begin to rise and the glory of Christ descends, we will be ready. We're ready now. We want it. And help us to be faithful as we prepare for it. May this table be that which properly frames how to live this life and the difficulties that we endure. May the joy of the glory of Christ be so immense to us that there are no other joys that can possibly compete in comparison. May the brightness of the glory of Christ that we would see at this table be that which obliterates every other joy that we would seek falsely. Father, we thank you for this morning. We thank you for the word. We thank you for the ability to pray Psalm 70, to know that the reality of Psalm 70, Christ endured and knew. And because of his work, we can rejoice and be glad. We can love your salvation. May your name be praised. In the precious name of Christ, amen.